You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercies, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and, un- and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through though it is tested by fire, may be found to, found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So if you just so happen to be a fan of early 2000s Ashton Kutcher film, (laughs) you'd be very familiar with the concept of the butterfly effect, right? The idea that things are so intertwined that a butterfly, maybe across the world, could flap its wings, and the result of that one motion could trigger a tidal wave on the other side of the world. And a lot of times it's used to talk about what could be the ramifications of time travel. So if I were to go back in time and walk to Albert Einstein's desk and move one paperclip 18 inches, then maybe it would have some sort of radical ramifications that would change the world as we know it right now. Now, I don't know how that works as far as time travel is concerned. I don't know if the butterfly effect is real as a concept, but I do know and I do believe in the butterfly effect of trying to get out the door in the morning, especially with children. (laughs) Because let's just say you get home on a Saturday and your kids normally put their shoes in this place by the door, but it's been a really long day. And so today they put their shoes somewhere else. We'll just call it place X. Who knows where it could possibly be, but that's where their shoes happen to be. And so the next morning, when you're getting ready for church on Sunday morning, normally your kids are going to go down and maybe the last thing they do is they get their shoes. But now their shoes are in the normal place and they're in place X. And because we weren't paying attention to what happened on Saturday night, place X could be anywhere. And so now you have to go look and find your shoes. And so the normal ways to get out the door are forever changed. And so as you're looking for the shoes, then maybe you put your keys down somewhere because you're just so desperately looking for the shoes, and then you find your shoes, and then all of a sudden, as your children now have shoes on, you go to grab your keys to get in the car, and you realize that you don't know where your keys are because your keys are now in place X. And so as you're moving about looking for your keys, then maybe you set your Bible and your notebook down somewhere, and you see how this goes. And that one moment of coming in on a Saturday night and not having shoes put in their normal place can have a butter effect that echoes throughout your Sunday morning and leads to you just being very grumpy as you walk through the doors of the church. Because sometimes we're so focused on an exact moment that we don't think about the ramifications. 
We don't think about the fact that if I don't do something maybe the way that I always do things, we take for granted those rhythms and forms, that all of a sudden everything could be different. A lot of times we think about salvation like putting our shoes by the door, right? It's a one-time event. And we don't necessarily always think about the ramifications that flow throughout the rest of our lives. But salvation is a big rock thrown into the pond of our lives. And its ripples and its effects really move throughout every moment of not only our lives here and now, but throughout all of eternity. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter for the next several weeks. And as Peter is writing this letter to a church that's being affected and afflicted by persecution, He's telling them what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the here and now. And he tells them that they belong to a kingdom of priests. And that same message is true for each and every one of us. That once we put our faith and our hope in Jesus, we're not just saved to a new life. We're not just forgiven, but we are called to a new pattern. We're called to a new office where every single one of us is commissioned by God as a priest in service to the kingdom of God. That every member of God's family is a minister for the sake of the gospel. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to take up the vocational side of things. It doesn't necessarily mean that every person has to get up and be able to preach on a daily basis. But every single one of us who bears the name of Jesus have the responsibility of doing the work of ministers of the kingdom and being commissioned to go out and to make disciples of all nations. And so as we look through 1 Peter, we're going to try to capture what that means and who we're meant to be as priests in the kingdom of God and as ministers of the gospel. When we look at salvation as that rock thrown into the pond of our lives with all of its ripples moving through and seeing how it affects us and shapes us and fits us for that vocation, we see Peter begin with some of the first gifts that come from salvation. These things that motivate us into that kind of a life and equip us to be the people that God has called us to be. And so as we look at the passage this morning that Marissa just read, we're going to see those gifts. And I want to look for a little bit at how they impact our lives and set us on this trajectory, not only for lives as ministers of the gospel, but also for an eternity with Christ. And so the first gift that Peter talks about is that through faith in Jesus, we obtain a living hope. We are given a living hope. And now Peter begins his letter to this afflicted church the same way that Paul begins all of his letters. And really the only way that you can begin a letter about the gospel. And that's by reminding us that this salvation that we've been given is something we've been given. That it's not something of our doing. And it seems like we just get hit with this week after week after week because it's such an important concept that comes along with trusting and following after Jesus. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
And so as Peter's talking about salvation, three times in one verse, he reminds us that this is not something that you were able to accomplish. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because salvation is according to his great mercy. That it's because of the mercy that God has and the love that God has that we're even able to be saved at all. He says that not only is it his great mercy, but he is the one that caused us to be born again. That it's not based on any actions that you took or any endeavor that you went on or any works that you were able to accomplish, but it was his mercy and that he caused us to be born again to this living hope. And it was all through the resurrection of his son from the dead. And so this whole picture of salvation is meant to point us back to a faith and a hope in God because he is the catalyst. He is the rock that was thrown into our sea. He is the one who won this salvation for us. And as Peter lays out the work that Jesus did to accomplish that salvation, he starts to tell us about the purpose of that salvation. That he caused us to be born again that he gave us a new life and a new hope. One of our gospel passages not too long ago told us the story of Nicodemus sitting down with Jesus and asking, what do I need to do to have this eternal life? What do I need to do to be a part of the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you need to be born again, not by water, but by spirit. You need a new life. You need the same kind of resurrection that Jesus won through leaving the tomb. But he doesn't just say that you were born again, but he says that we're born again on a trajectory. He says that you're born again to a living hope. And I think this ties in so well with the gospel reading from today. Because we see Thomas, somebody who was wrecked with doubt, probably torn apart because everything that he believed in and everything that he had put his life into now was seemingly just gone because he thought that Jesus was the Messiah. He thought that Jesus was the one. He saw Jesus do all these incredible things, and then, then Jesus died. And so we see Thomas, when he's given the word that Jesus is risen again, he says, no, he's not. He's just not. And I'm not going to believe it unless I can take my hands and put them in the places where the nails were. Unless I see this with my very own eyes, I'm just not going to believe it because it's impossible. But then we see this drastic transition in Thomas's life where he experiences the assurance of the resurrection. And what I love about this passage is that what gave Thomas that assurance is not that Jesus was the Messiah that Jesus is the Messiah. Because there have been a lot of people that had come along before Jesus. He wasn't the first person to have a big following. He wasn't the first person to even make claims about being the Messiah. He wasn't the first person for people to look at him and say, that's the one. There were a lot of people before Jesus that looked like they could be the Messiah, and so many of them died. And then they weren't the Messiah anymore. And so Thomas thought that he had just been caught up in this false messianic hope. But then he saw Jesus. After the resurrection, the living and reigning Messiah. 
And his hope wasn't in someone who claimed to be the Messiah, but someone who was the Messiah because he was living right in front of him. I remember when I saw my first professional hockey game live. I didn't grow up being a hockey fan, but Sebney's brother played. And so when we started dating, I got introduced to this whole new world of hockey. And we went to an Atlanta Thrashers game when they were here. And it was such an interesting experience because I am a basketball fan and I've been a basketball fan my whole life. And I'm used to high scoring endeavors, right? In a basketball game, you can have 30, 40, 50 goals scored in one game. I'm used to the point totals being up in the 80s, 90s, 100s. And that's just not how hockey works. But it's also fast. The sport of hockey is just always moving back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And it's an incredible thing to see as you see this high-speed game where very little points are scored. And so there's this almost, this, I guess, liturgical element to the hockey arena. Because you hear the crowd moving and responding in the same way. And so a player will get the puck, and he'll get on a breakaway, right? And he starts moving down the ice, and you feel this excitement because he's moving so incredibly fast, and the anticipation starts to build, and you hear the whole arena begin to inhale this. And then as he goes, he pulls back, and as he gets ready to shoot, there's a pause in the breath. And then he shoots the puck, and then most of the time, he misses. And then there's this audible exhale. And so through the whole arena, you hear, uh, uh, just the whole arena breathing together in this pattern of hope and disappointment. And hope and disappointment. But the hope that we receive is a gift from God is one that will never fail. There's never that exhale of disappointment because our hope is a living hope. And our hope is a living hope because we have a living Savior. As the whole world saw Jesus and they were drawing in this anticipation of surely he can be the one and then he is hanging on the cross and the breath goes still. And you would think there would be that exhale of just disappointment of another failed Messiah. But then three days later, he rises from the dead, and the hope continues forward. And so we have this gift of a living, unwavering, everlasting hope that comes through our living Savior, Jesus Christ. And the call that Peter gives to this church that, again, is facing persecution is to cling on and to hold fast to their hope in Jesus because he is not dead, but he is risen and he will never die again. And because of that, the hope that we have in Christ will never pass away. He's given us a living hope. Jesus has also given us an inheritance. I remember once I went and visited someone who was an older member of the church that I was at at the time who was in a nursing home and was very much in the later stages of his life. And he was still in just really good spirits. He was a man that loved the Lord deeply. And he was just telling us all these stories. You know how when someone tells you a story and they just say it normal, but as you hear it, you think, dude, that is really messed up. This is one of those stories. Because he was just telling the story about his kids and his grandkids. He said, no, my kids and my grandkids, they've been coming in a lot recently, and I love it when they visit. 
But you know, they've started going through my house and going through my belongings here, and I've noticed that they've started writing their names on the back or the bottoms of all the things of mine that they want. I thought, my God, that is rough. And these kids are literally walking in, just like, hi, Grandpa. How long is it going to be again? I'm going to take this one. I'm just claiming things for their inheritance. And the messed up part about that is if you know how inheritances work, these aren't gifts that they're going to be receiving from Grandpa, but these are things that they're literally waiting on their grandfather to die so that they can take ownership of. And as Peter continues, he uses that language, right? In verse 4, he says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And Peter uses that language of an inheritance very intentionally. Because in order to obtain an inheritance, it has to be something that once belonged to someone else, they need to die, and then you receive it. And so this inheritance that Peter is promising is this eternal life that Jesus came to bring. The fact that broken and rebellious sinners can not only have forgiveness in the here and now, but that we have a future hope in Christ Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus was given a name above every name. And that he, again, entered into his glory. That God had preserved this paradise and this glory specifically for Jesus for all of eternity. But that through his death, Jesus gave us ownership to that inheritance. An eternity that was made for and custom fitted for the one true perfect son of God. Through his death and resurrection, he shares that with anyone and everyone who would believe. And as Peter talks about that inheritance, he uses this series of adjectives to show us how amazing it really is. As we think about being with Christ forever in the presence of God, he says that our inheritance is imperishable. That there's no expiration date on this inheritance, that there's not a time when we will be in eternity with Christ and then all of a sudden it will stop or we'll have to renew our inheritance, or we'll run out of it, that just like Jesus is eternal, the inheritance that he shares with us is eternal. And it's so hard to think about eternity, because it doesn't make sense, because everything is so temporal, and yet here's Peter saying, this hope that you have in Christ Jesus is a living hope, because the inheritance that you receive is an eternal one. That when you pass into glory, and then when Jesus returns to make this world into exactly what it should be, there won't be a time when it passes away again. There won't be a time when you taste death again. But you will be with Christ in the presence of God forever. Because it will not pass away. <coughs> he says that it is undefiled. And this gives us this picture of the incredible purity of the inheritance that we receive from Jesus. We know that Jesus is and was and always will be the perfect Son of God, one with God, equal to God in every single way. That when he came into our world, that he was tempted and tested in every way that we are, and yet he never failed and was completely and totally without sin. And so his inheritance is just as pure and just as perfect as he is. And what I think is so amazing about this 
is that this is an inheritance that I will receive, and it will still be undefiled. Even though I am so sinful and so broken, and I've messed up so many times, when I take hold of the inheritance that Jesus has won for me, he will purify me so deeply that I'm not going to mess it up. And that each and every one of us who claim the name of Jesus, as we bring all of our baggage into the presence of God, whether it's by death or by the return of Christ, when we stand before Jesus, he'll take all of that sin, all of that shame, all of that guilt, and wash it away from us once and for all, and invite us in to an inheritance and an eternity that is perfect and pure and holy and righteous, and we will be too. And then he says, our inheritance is unfading. And it can be really easy to look at imperishable and unfading as the same thing. But if you've ever seen one of those videos where someone keeps McDonald's fries in a jar for like 753 years, they are imperishable. <laughs> they never go away, but they do have a tendency to change color, right? So when you get a McDonald's fry, maybe it's really good right out of the fryer, right? Maybe it's something that you really enjoy eating, but if you just leave it there, it will remain for as long as possible. In fact, there may be stale McDonald's fries in the kingdom of heaven. I'm not totally sure how all of that works, but they will probably be gray, at least at the last moments, because they fade and they change and they start to get not as good as they were at the beginning but not our eternal inheritance from Jesus. When I was a kid, eternity really messed with me, and it still kind of does, if we're being honest, because I'm somebody who can get bored really easily. And so I think, how good could it possibly be? I mean, yeah, it'll be great to be in the presence of God, and I'm sure when I first experience that, it's going to be mind-blowing, right? You see how John reacts in the book of Revelation, where he just falls down and can't move because he's just so overwhelmed by the goodness and the glory of God, but eventually we'll adjust to it, right? Eventually it'll become a little bit more commonplace. Eventually it'll start to lose its luster. But Peter says that it is unfading. That there will never be a moment with our eternal inheritance with Jesus that it'll start to dull its shine. We will be captivated in awe of the glory and goodness of God for all of eternity. And I don't know how that works because it is really hard for me to be in awe of something for a really long time, but we will be. And it'll draw our hearts and our lips to worship in a way that we could never imagine or fathom because our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And if that wasn't enough, he keeps going. He says that it's kept in heaven for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Because not only is our inheritance all of these things, but we're never going to be taken out of the way. 
If you put your faith and your hope in Jesus, there is never a moment that that inheritance will be in question. From the time that we trust in and follow Jesus, when we are made new by his resurrection, that inheritance is locked in stone from now until we receive it because it's not based on my merits. It's not based on how good I am. I didn't earn that inheritance. I was given that inheritance. And Jesus has promised that not only will no one take us out of the Father's hand, but that there is nothing that can change our status as children of God and that we will absolutely one day receive that inheritance not because we're just really good people after we become Christians but because our inheritance is being kept in heaven by God's power and guarding our faith and salvation so it's not going anywhere this future gift that we have promised is better than anything we could possibly imagine, and it's more secure than it absolutely should be because it is kept by God. And so Peter's calling us here to have this intense sense of gratitude because we get to receive something we could have never earned. We get to have this future hope that belonged to Jesus, and there's nothing that could take it away because we're given a living hope and an eternal inheritance. But we're also given a present trial or a present hardship. There's one thing that you almost never hear in a gospel presentation, right? There's never a moment, usually, unless we're just being totally honest, where we say, hey, you should trust in and follow after Jesus. It's going to make your life really, really hard. You should follow after Jesus. It's going to bring difficulties like you could never imagine. That is a really bad sales pitch. We like to keep that in the fine print. Let people usually find that out on their own, right? It's, oh, are you struggling? Follow after Jesus. Oh, are you dealing with sin and rebellion? Follow after Jesus. Have you hit rock bottom? Follow after Jesus. He will make it better. Are you suffering with depression or anxiety? Follow after Jesus. He will make your life better. Are you struggling with being caught up in these bad habits that you don't like? Follow after Jesus. He will make your life better. Follow after Jesus and he will make everything so good. And I absolutely believe that. That no matter where we come from, when you put your faith in Jesus, that he will make your life better. But I also absolutely believe that when you follow Jesus, it will make your life harder. And those two things can absolutely be true at the exact same moment. Because we are promised both of those things all throughout the New Testament. Even before his death and resurrection, Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Hey, listen, I need to tell you something. The world hates me, and they're going to hate you too. After the resurrection, as we see Peter writing this letter, right? This is a man who just struggled with the highs and the lows. We see him confess Jesus. We see him deny Jesus. We see him run headlong into faith for Jesus. And we see him just fall apart in doubt and shame. And then after the resurrection, we saw in Acts chapter 2, he's standing there in the middle of the city and he's proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And we should say, yeah, he finally got it. I bet that made his life so much easier. But it didn't. Because after the resurrection, Jesus pulled Peter aside. 
And he said, hey, man, you're going to die, and it's going to be rough. He says, people are going to pull you in ways that you don't want to go. And they are going to lead you to a death that is going to be really awful. And Peter knew this as he was standing and preaching the good news of the gospel. Peter knew this as he was writing to a church that were being persecuted from every side. Peter was crucified upside down for his faith in Jesus. All of those men that followed after Christ died in really miserable ways because of Jesus. The reality is following after Jesus will absolutely bring difficulties into your life that would not be there if you weren't following after Christ. And the New Testament promises it over and over and over again. And if you are a follower of Jesus, your life has probably been a testimony to that more times than you can count. Verse 6 and 7. Peter says, In this, that inheritance, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And this is where it gets really hard. Because not only are these present trials and difficulties promised, but a lot of times they're part of the process. Peter says, these trials that you're enduring, even though they last for a little while compared to eternity, you know how hard and difficult they are, but they have a purpose. They are meant for refining you like fire does to precious metals where it burns out all the impurities. They are set to be fitting you for the call that Jesus has not only to be priests in the kingdom of God, but they are fitting you for eternity. They are preparing you for the work that God has for you to do right here and right now. But they are also there for the purpose of testing your faith to make sure that it is driving you toward a more genuine and more genuine faith day after day. But we spend a lot of time, especially in the midst of all of the modern comforts that we have, we spend a lot of time as followers of Jesus trying to avoid the things that oftentimes God uses to strengthen us. When any kind of hardship comes, we look at that and we just reject that. We say, nope, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to do whatever is necessary to get myself out of this situation because it is difficult, it is hard, and I don't like that. And that's not what I was promised when I came into following after Jesus. I thought everything was going to be a lot easier, and I'm trying to be faithful, and I'm trying to be good, and I go to church, and I give to the offering, and I sing my songs, and I try to be as faithful as possible. And so this should not be happening. And so we try to avoid it at all costs. And I'm not saying we need to look to be martyrs. We don't have to go out and try to find extra difficulties or just revel in it when it comes. But the reality is there will be times where no matter what we are doing, we are going to be faced with trials and difficulties. And sometimes... 
God will give us quick deliverance from those things. And it'll be a cause to rejoice because of his goodness and setting us free. And sometimes we will want it gone so badly and God will say, my grace is sufficient for you. And he will work through our difficulties. He will work through our trials and our hardships and our tribulations and he will refine us. And he will sanctify us. And he will prepare us for the work that he's calling us to do. And sometimes he'll even let it test us. And so we need to learn to be people who endure. I don't think that's a word we can use a lot of times about modern, particularly American Christians. It's not a mark of the American Christian church that we are a people who can endure. But all through the New Testament, that's a mark of true faith, that we persevere and that we endure through hardships. And so we need to be the kind of people who endure well by rejoicing, not in the suffering. We're not necessarily called here to rejoice in the suffering, but to rejoice in the fact that compared to eternity, our suffering is just for a little while. To rejoice in our inheritance even while we suffer in the here and now. Because we know that even though we suffer for a little while in this exact moment. And even if that suffering seems to go week after week or month after month or even year after year. That like Paul says we have a promised hope in Christ Jesus that is going to make it seem so very small once we obtain it. And so we can at the same time endure our sufferings and rejoice in our living hope that has give us, given us a promised inheritance in Christ Jesus. So we have a living hope, an eternal inheritance, and a present trial. Then we also see that Jesus gives us a faithful affection. And in verse 8, it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Peter is an eyewitness writing to those who were not. Peter walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He saw Jesus after the resurrection. He ate with the resurrected Jesus. He touched the resurrected Jesus. He heard the words as Jesus was teaching for those days leading up to Pentecost. And he's writing to people, some of which who had never seen Jesus. And I'm not going to lie to you. I am pretty jealous of eyewitnesses of Jesus. As someone who just deals with doubt on a regular basis, I just think, man... If I just could have seen Jesus, if I just could have walked with him for a moment, if I just could have been there after the resurrection, this would be so much easier. But I think it's interesting that Peter has this almost sense of admiration for those who have not seen Jesus and yet still believe in him. And we see that echoed in the gospel passage that we have this morning as Jesus is encountering Thomas. And again, Thomas comes in clenched fists. No, I am not going to believe this unless I see him with my eyes, unless I touch him with my hands. I cannot and will not believe that Jesus is raised from the dead. And then Jesus appears to Thomas 
And he says, okay, go for it. And Thomas touches, and he sees, and he confesses, and he says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus doesn't give him an I told you so. He doesn't come down harshly on Thomas. He says, yeah, yeah, I am. Blessed are you for believing now, but blessed even more so are those who do not see and believe. And that puts us in a really interesting position. I'm going through a book right now by James K. A. Smith called Inhabiting Time. And he's talking about what it means to find ourselves in the time and space that we are in as followers of Jesus. And sometimes having that envy of people who came along in a different time here, where maybe we feel like it would be easier to believe or more impactful to believe. And he points out the fact that just because someone was an eyewitness to Jesus, it didn't make them a follower of Jesus. There were many people who saw Jesus. And maybe even some of those who saw Jesus after the resurrection who still did not believe and who still didn't follow after Jesus. And so just because you're an eyewitness, it doesn't necessarily mean that you would be a follower. And to be a follower, you don't have to be an eyewitness. But in fact, being a follower without being an eyewitness gives us some sort of a deeper, not connection to God, but a deeper level of blessing that comes along with the salvation that he gives us in the here and now. Because saying that we love Jesus, even though we haven't seen him, is a truly awesome thing. But we can say we love Jesus, because even though we haven't seen him, we know him. And even though we haven't seen him, we have seen the power and the effects of Jesus on our lives. Even though I haven't seen Christ, I know the work that Jesus has done in my life. I know that I was lost and now I'm found. I know that I was blind and now I see. I know the miracle of salvation in my life that can only come through knowing and trusting in Jesus. I know the fact Time and time again, I come in like Thomas saying, nope, I know what you've done. I know the resume that you have in my life. I know what the Bible says, but I am not going to believe that you are who you say you are unless you show yourself to me now and reveal yourself in a way that is unmistakable. And he does it again and again and again. I love Jesus because he is so good and so gentle with me and constantly affirms time and time again the salvation that he's given me. But also, I am able to love Jesus, and you are able to love Jesus, because even though we haven't seen him, he has seen us. And he knows our sin, and our shame, and our weakness, and yet he loved us first. One of the ripples of salvation is an unbelievable love that we have for Jesus that is born out of his inexplicable love for us. The love that we have for Jesus is a gift from Jesus. The faith that we have in Jesus is a gift from Jesus. Remember what he said even to Peter, as he's an eyewitness standing before Jesus, confessing him as the Christ, he says, yeah, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You didn't figure it out on your own, but it was a gift from God above. And in the same way, as we believe in Jesus, as we love Jesus, as we have this affection for Jesus, we are reminded that it is a gift 
from Jesus that can only come from the love that he has first given to us. Peter says the result of that love and that affection should be joy. It should be a life filled with rejoicing. We need to. We talked about last week how easy it is to be distracted from our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we need to day after day fuel our love for Christ. To be reminded of why we love Jesus. To be reminded of the goodness of the gospel. To be reminded of how amazing it is that Jesus loves me even though he sees me for who I am. To be reminded of how amazing it is that I can love Jesus even though I haven't seen him. And even though those doubts are there. And even though faith can be hard, I can still love Jesus. And when I fuel that fire and passion for Christ, what should come out of that? is the expression of passionate joy through a rejoicing that can only come in and through the life of a Christian who's been given a faithful affection for Jesus, even though it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to the world around us. Through salvation, Jesus has given us a living hope, an eternal inheritance, a present trial, and a faithful affection. And the end of the passage here, Peter reminds us that the finale of all of this, the final gift that we're given, is to obtain what we already own. And this is one of the interesting things about this passage. This, this passage begins with, and it ends with, salvation. And so does our story. It begins with Jesus throwing that rock in the pond of our lives and salvation just beginning to ripple throughout every part of our lives. But it ends with once and for all laying our hands on that salvation that God has promised us. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. In the life of the believer, salvation is both the catalyst and the destination. It's the rock, it's the ripple, and it's the calm sea in the aftermath. And our ultimate hope is that one day we will receive in full what now we just know in part. That the salvation that Jesus began in our lives and is protecting in our lives through keeping our faith and our hope in him, that one day he will complete that joy in our lives and we will take hold of salvation once and for all. And we will get to know the full breadth of all the unbelievable gifts that it brings with us. All of these gifts that we talked about this morning, they are the sparks to light the flame in every person who believes in Jesus Christ, that allow us to be living our lives as priests in service to the kingdom of God. And as we continue going through this book, Peter is going to show us how to do all of these things and what it means to live as priests and as followers of God in a world that is broken and flawed and difficult, but to take on that work as every member of his church being a minister of the gospel. And we're able to do that, and we're able to live in that way by holding fast to the living hope that we've been given in our living Savior, Jesus Christ.
to cling to the hope that we have in our eternal inheritance that one day we'll be able to lay down this work and enter into the rest that Jesus has promised us. To be the kind of people who are persistent in trials and difficulties so that in the midst of our weakness, the world can know the strength of God and to rejoice in our love for Jesus and live our lives in inexpressible joy until the day when we obtain the outcome of our faith, the full salvation of our souls. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to again thank you for that beautiful reminder that none of this is about us. Because if we were given an inheritance based on what we deserve, it would just be hell. If we were to try and hope in what we could accomplish, it would just be met with disappointment time and time again. If we were to try to endure hardship and difficulties by our own strength, we would fail. And if we were going to try to love you, even though we haven't seen you on our own, God, we would still be resolute in our denial like Thomas was. We are so thankful to be able to echo that expression of praise of Peter saying, blessed are you, our God and Father, because you caused us to be born again through the resurrection of your Son. And you have made us to be born again to a living hope because we have a living Savior. And you have promised us an inheritance that we could never earn and didn't deserve and that you paid for that inheritance through the death of your son. God, it's by your strength that we're able to walk through difficulties and trials. And that we can even rejoice in those times because we know that our eternal hope is so much bigger and better than our present suffering. God, we love you because you first loved us. And so because of all of that, help us to make our affection known for you by living lives that are filled with inexpressible joy and to rejoice in you always. And help us to hold fast to the unwavering hope that one day we will obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, and we will enter into our inheritance once and for all. Until that day, God, we pray that you strengthen us for the calling and the work that you've set before us. As we prepare to come to the table, we pray that you bless the bread and the cup, 
and that it would be good for the strengthening of the body and the soul and the spirit of your people here this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to Redeeming Grace Audio. For more resources or messages, check out redeeminggracecc.com.